It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that explores the ever-growing world of football analytics and takes on the many tactical and topical discussions within the game. It's episode 46 and this week we're discussing stat padding. But first, my name is Ryan Bailey and joining me is my good friend Mark Carey. Mark, how are you? I'm very well, thank you Ryan. Um, it's been, well it's the international break, it's just come to the end of the international break. Yeah. Um, it's been some good international games. I think, despite what some people say. Um, and you think it would be quieter at club level, but it hasn't actually. It's been quite a uh, managerial merry-go-round, to it try and has. say that slowly. Um, so <laughs> I've been kept very busy by looking into as many of those as possible, but it's it's, it's, been, quite, it's been quite mad, hasn't it? Just how many ingoings and outgoings, and in some instances, some ingoings and outgoings within the same week for a certain manager. The same person outgoing, then ingoing. Yes, then, yeah, that's right. When, yes. when you, well, I mean, it gets complicated, doesn't it? I mean, I was going to ask you about this. I'm glad you brought it up straight away. Um, boyhood hero Steven Gerrard back in the Premier League, not for Liverpool. How do we feel? Yeah, yeah, no, fine. I don't want him to to be manager I'm of Liverpool fine. just yet. Yeah, <laughs> through gritted teeth. No, I, I, I think it's a good move for for Gerrard and for his staff. I think that I, I followed Rangers as much as I possibly could anyway, just because because Gerrard was the, the manager there. And I do think that I'll follow just the kind of the, the interviews and the, the media side of things at, at Aston Villa, because I, I am genuinely interested in what Gerrard has to say. And I, I watched the Aston Villa, um, like their, their own channel and the interview that he did with, with them as his first interview. And I, I do have to say that he just kind of attracts that he has that aura about him, basically. Mm. When he was speaking, you could sort of tell that his his eyes were sort of piercing through the reporter and just having that intensity to be like, these standards are not going to slip beyond yeah, like, yeah. the best. And it's... Absolutely. I, I think he is going to genuinely raise the standards of, of Villa. And they've, they've already got high standards. They, they've been doing well overall in the past 12 months. They've had a bit of a slip-up. That's obviously why uh, Dean Smith's lost his job. But 
uh, I think he is going to raise raise them up to another level. To be honest, absolutely. And I I also read the transcript of that interview, and I saw that uh, one of his sentences was "the stats don't lie." And I mm. thought, "There's there's a man who who we like." Really, I didn't know that. Understands his uh, understands his stats. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, if there's a job, Stevie, I'll uh, actually no. I've, I love <laughs> Stevie, I love lad. my job. Already. <laughs> um, what what do you think Stephen Gerrard is going to bring in terms of like? tactical changes and stuff to Villa what do you think is going to be the main change <laughs> I don't know when, I genuinely don't know whether you're trying to set me up for essentially a piece <laughs> that I've written um, in The Athletic I genuinely don't know if that was I actually wasn't I, I know you did that but I, I wasn't even thinking about that <laughs> um, well I don't know but I think it, it's it's quite difficult to tell only because it's it's Rangers and Rangers and Celtic are the two dominant teams in the, the Scottish Premiership so yes you can see that he's going to potentially play with a, a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-2-1, which is how he did um, with Rangers. But mm-hmm. in terms of their out of possession, he's going to make sure that they have good defensive structure. I think he said as much where the spaces need to get smaller and they need to improve their intensity off the ball. Yep. Those are things which kind of apply to any team. But the fact that like on the ball, Rangers do just dominate possession. They will continue to dominate possession. Aston Villa don't quite have that as you would imagine, because it's a more competitive league, it's hard to really see just how much it's going to translate. So yeah. you can sort of see some fundamental principles, but you never know until, you're, I don't know, at least 10 games or more in, as we've spoken about sample size. Good sample size. Fairly recently. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that you've you've seen or read that would maybe give you an inkling as to what, what might change. No, not to be honest from a tactical point of view, but I just, you know, there are some good players, aren't there, at Villa? Mm. Like, there, there there, are some strong people to work with. So it'd be interesting to see. Do you feel like it's a bit of a next level from the Rangers job to, to Villa? Like, it'd be interesting to see how he takes to that, wouldn't it? I'm not saying it is, because Rangers is obviously a, you know, hugely, a, a huge club. But mm. um, it's a very different kind of challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of one against the other. And Aston Villa are, I mean, they've been European champions. They are a massive club. Um, the intensity in in Rangers as a city, um, obviously in Glasgow, I think is is massive. Um, but the competition, more broadly in the league, isn't as big. So I think it's a trade off of one against the other. Where yeah, uh, yeah. Aston Villa are still a massive club and they have a fantastic fan base, etc. But there's no doubting. That, I don't think anyone could argue that just more broadly the competition and the difficulty of the league has gone up a lot. And this is where Gerard, yeah. I guess, will be kind of judged. Because he's got a good, as you say, he's got a good group of players to work with. Probably have some more um, more players coming in. There's kind of no excuse. He's got all the foundations to, to do well. So if he doesn't do well, it's maybe on him and his staff. Because, yeah, th- this will be the test as to see whether he might be the next Liverpool manager. Because he's now got the chance to do it in the Premier League. 100%. And you actually mentioned, didn't you, uh, Dean Smith, another member of the, hmm. uh, the merry-go-round. Um, eight days, Mark. Eight days. Was I that what it was? it was? I think so. B- between losing his job at Aston Villa and becoming Norwich manager, which fair play to the man, he's just got straight back on the horse, hasn't he? Which you know is 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 admirable, and and I, I'd be interested to see how that goes, won't it? Because that's a big job. Yeah. I, what is it that, like the the classic like pundits phrase is like you worry for Norwich. <laughs> you, you worry for Norwich. Like, I, <laughs> I do think that's kind of true. I don't know whether they have enough quality to stay in the league. So they might have a bit of a bounce. And he is a good manager, Dean Smith. But I, I don't know whether the task is just too big to keep them in the Premier League. But we shall see. Um, 
you have a good fact on that, I think, with uh, Dean Smith taking his first game at the weekend. Oh, yes, I read this. I, I think the game that lost him, is his last game for Villa was Southampton. Mm. And then Norwich plays Southampton as the first <laughs> as the first game uh, of him, him being in charge. And you know, there's that really funny meme with Drake from uh, what, what's <laughs> yes. which song is it from um, Hotline Bling or whatever it is. <laughs> and it was like Southampton with Villa yeah. <laughs> versus Southampton with Norwich. It really made me laugh. Uh, I'm not so sure that's good. the kind of thing we'll stick in the bio, but still, so it made good. me laugh. I'm sure someone knows what that is. But yeah, I mean, so that was one. And then, I mean, uh, a left field one that I saw happen today, I think. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst at, at Rangers, replacing mm. Gerard. We've literally done a triangle here. So, so yeah, mm. at Rangers, I didn't even realise Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was a, you know, a successful manager. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, well, he, he did fairly well at Feyenoord. Um, well, he did very well at Feyenoord in the Eredivisie, in, in the Netherlands, of course, his, his home country. Um, but this is going back a fair few years ago. I think he left Feyenoord in 2019. I was looking at it today and then he went to, to China for a year, I believe. Mm. Um, and sort of did okay, I think. But he's been out of sort of work in a managerial sense for about a year now. So I suppose you you know you don't exactly lose it, but I think he's kind of been on the lookout for a, for a yeah. job. And I think it is a good move. He's he's obviously played for Rangers. Um, he's played for some top top clubs, so he knows what yeah, it is, yeah. what it means to win. So I think it's I think it's of all the the moves to make, especially when Rangers needed a manager fairly quickly. I think that I think this one will will work out. But obviously, time will tell. Um, I have my own little fact, actually, on Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. Go on, um, then. Well, kind of. It's more that, um, you know, Gio Reyna, the um, yeah, yeah. the young uh, American player for Borussia Dortmund, he um, was named after Giovanni Van Bronckhorst by his dad, Claudio Reyna, who was a successful footballer for Manchester City, Sunderland and Rangers. So when, he, when Claudio Reyna played at Rangers with Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, they must have been good friends and then he named yeah. his son after him so imagine me just like calling no my son ryan because we're mates <laughs> like it's quite like a weird thing to do isn't it yeah when you put it like that it definitely is yeah um <laughs> oh that's what i mean i didn't know that i never would have ever known that if you it's a just niche said that. it's a niche fact. that is a niche of all the facts you come up with that is niche yeah um my only thought on i just used to buy Giovanni Van Bronckhorst on FIFA in like 2005 yeah. you know he was at Barcelona FIFA he was like Street my go-to well. he was my go-to left back to purchase if I ever took over you know at Man United or something and then speaking of Barcelona then Xavi you know the, the, oh, the threads yeah. are the threads are endless aren't they with this managerial merry-go-round yeah the one constant I guess is Mr Solskjaer who's not losing his job anytime soon uh so you read yeah um but that'll be interesting, won't it? See how long that lasts. He's yeah, he's still at the wheel, isn't he? Um, I mean, I <laughs> I'd like him to stay at the wheel for for some time, to be honest. Yeah, because, it's fine for you, lot, isn't it? Because yeah, as a Liverpool fan, you get to just watch. It's not really self-destruct mode. I just think that they've got all of the players. Well, they've got good players there. I think they just need a, a system and a manager with a bit more conviction to actually get them going. But um, again, time will tell. I don't, I don't think he will lose. I think Manchester United have actually learned their lesson to to not like go gung-ho and, and fire the manager. I think yeah. he'll stay. And I don't know. We, we'll see. We'll see with all of them, I suppose, won't we? It's probably a cop-out, but time will tell. Well, yeah, well, there's a lot of managers to keep our eyes on. Mm. But uh, for the time being, let's let them do their jobs and we'll do ours and we'll move on with the episode, <laughs> shall we? Lovely segue. Let's crack on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as we said, out the international break. But actually, it's an interesting talking point in the international break isn't it Mark because 
I think the last crop of games raised a few questions from some people and there were strong opinions flying about uh, on various platforms and stuff about the sort of importance or the pointlessness I guess is one word for, of these kind of international games because obviously the the standout score for us being uh, being English was England 10 hmm. San Marino nil and you know I think Michael Owen tweeted didn't he basically saying you know I'm fed up of this and I'm not the only one to which people backlashed and said you don't have to watch it which is very true but yeah, I'm interested to know your opinion on what you think about the international breaks. Because, I, I, you know, I, I'm guilty sometimes of when an international break is coming up. I do kind of take a deep breath and just switch off slightly mm. sometimes mm. from, from you know, the thrill of weekend league football. Uh, so, yeah, what, what, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I think I've said that on, the, on this podcast before that I absolutely sooner watch um, and tune into to club football than international football. I, I don't know many people who would disagree with that. But again, please let us know in, you know, where to find us um, if you disagree. But I I do something similar where I, I do just kind of just take stock a little bit. Um, yeah. and I'm not as tuned into the international break. I'll, I'll watch the games if, if they're on. I'll certainly watch the highlights, but um, I'm never that bothered. I think on the point of like, it's it's a bit pointless from Michael Owen's comment, then you sort of can't have it both ways because I think at the moment England are doing really well and they are yeah. a good side. So this is the sort of thing where however many years ago, maybe towards the end of Michael Owen's sort of career, they might have had a 2-0 game against San Marino and might actually not have had that much quality against them. Yeah, it's yeah. not England's fault and some of the players' fault that they are just a class above. And also, it's not like that across the whole of the well, world football, international football. Like We've seen that Portugal and uh, Italy both current champions and previous champions or the most recent champions before Italy in Portugal um, are now in the playoffs because they haven't been able to to qualify yeah. sort of themselves by actually being highest in the in the group phase so that's competitive so how can you sort of have it both ways it's not completely died as an international sort of format to qualify yeah. for these major international tournaments so it's it's a difficult one and you can't blame the players that they are just some teams are just better or worse than others. Absolutely, yeah. And also Scotland and Wales obviously had some quite yes. exciting fixtures, didn't they, as well? Yeah, that Denmark which, game, the atmosphere looked amazing in the, the yeah. Denmark-Scotland game. I, I guess just from us England fans, we can't just be like, oh, well, ours was a bit bit of a walkover, so it's pointless. You know, mm. we can't just sort of get like that, can we? But, you know, like you sort of said before, I think you can only beat what's in front of you, can't you? Which you're not going to be, you shouldn't be apologetic for doing that. I, I kind of get it. But but the thing is, though, I mean, I, you know, I don't really know enough about it. But if if we didn't have these kind of, if you didn't have this system, if, if whatever restructure people are talking about needs to happen, well, wouldn't you end up with like a, you know, hypothetical Super League if you only wanted mm. the, you know, the, the best teams to play the best teams all the time? And then the actual tournaments that we do all care about when, when it does happen, you wouldn't really care, would you, if... England played Germany all the time, whereas it's such a massive occasion when we do get there. And I just think, yeah, you can't just pop these teams in without doing the the phases to get there, can you really? You know, yeah. Else it just doesn't really work. Yeah, no, I do agree. And it is one of those, which is the instant rebuttal to the likes of Michael Owen is, well, yeah, how would you do it? And I'm all yeah. ears if, if there is a better way, to be honest. But I don't know if it could be kind of tiered. I don't know if it already is. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. But it shows how much I care about international football. But yeah. Whether or not, yeah, you have to, you know, beat others around you. San Marino are playing Gibraltar and stuff before they actually then 
are then able to play England or the likes of other sort of higher ranked international teams again let us know in the the comments and and get in contact with us um, and please educate me because it just shows how probably like care about international football in comparison to club football um, but yeah I don't know what you what you think about it in terms of the yeah that well we were sort of dancing around the the topic a little bit in terms of what the crux of this whole section of this episode is going to be in terms of players sort of maybe looking on an international level I guess historically as well almost better than than they are or they, than they might be by this notion of stat padding. And I think we've got to address the the most recent one of Harry Kane, right? Yes. So he scored seven goals in two games. He scored that hat-trick against Albania in the first game. He scored four against San Marino. I think all of them actually in the first half of their respective yeah. games, I think, which is just, again, he probably took his foot off the gas after that. Seven goals in two games. I mean, I, I do want to get, before we go into kind of the numbers and the, the more broad concept, I do want to get your thoughts, I guess, on this, this notion of stat padding, is it Harry Kane's fault, I guess, is the, the short question. I'd, well, I'd say no for a start, because what's he going to do, just not score? No. But mm. uh, my initial thoughts, I love the words stat padding. I think that's mm. very fun. Um, but I, I just, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because again, like you can't just, you can't just play Harry Kane only against the good teams because you just want him to prove himself all the time. Like he needs to, what what's he going to do? Just apologise for scoring against San Marino. But the fact is, they're 210th out of 210 in the world. So, of course, he's going to score four goals against them. He's one of the top strikers in the world. Mm. So, I don't know. The thing that I grapple with, which I guess is part of the conversation, is where does that, in terms of the legacy of being the top England goal scorer ever, how much does it matter that half of them were in qualifying? I'm not really sure. Mm. It's interesting when you look, isn't it, against who he scored his goals against or all the important goals he has scored, mm. which obviously, you know, one of the one of the ones in the Euros just gone against Germany was obviously a massive goal, which, which you know, uh, I, I, I'm always a bit torn by it, to be honest, because, yeah, I also just don't like the idea that we can be like, oh, my God, he scored 100 goals, but, you know. 95 of them were against San Marino. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, a bit, it's a bit silly, isn't it? I, I don't really know which way you can go with it, but I understand people's sort of uproar. Again, how would you change it? How would you rather him be if he doesn't score? I don't know. And to some extent, it, on an international level, it's kind of the same for everyone. So you compare him to, uh, maybe not going fully back historically with the likes of Jimmy Greaves and Bobby Charlton and, and players like that. But, you know, Michael Owen's right up there. Obviously, Wayne Rooney's at the top. Gary Lineker's there or thereabouts, isn't he? Um, in terms of the top England goal scorers at international level, at least. To some extent, they've all played minnows internationally as well. They've not all played every game. You almost forget that, like, yeah, Michael Owen and Gary Lineker have also played in, in qualifiers and stuff. They've not played in major European or major world international um, tournaments in every international game they've played. They've, they've padded out some stats themselves. So as you say, how can... Harry Kane be apologetic but I was reading something recently and only five of Harry Kane's 48 international goals have come against teams ranked in the top 10 wow. of the FIFA rankings at the time of the fixture so a small amount I suppose if you I guess if you could extrapolate that out of there or thereabouts about 10% of um, Harry Kane's goals have been against yeah there or thereabouts the, the mm -hmm. top 10 um, but again you come come back to it of how much opportunity has he had to play against those top yeah. ten? How many fixtures has he, has have he there missed been? Yeah, how many fixtures have there been? So 
yeah, I, I do find it an interesting one, but it comes back to the idea of our podcast, of the context of put, throwing out these stats. You know, like it's no problem Harry Kane having this record because he is going to break the England record. But You'll break you, it next year like, if we play San Marino again, money. Yeah, well, yeah, very quickly indeed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, then you can just add that context and that's that's fine to, to add. And it's not sort of using it as a stick to beat him with, but it's just saying that, yes, he, ha- he is England's all-time scorer. But, um, but yeah, he might have scored four goals against San Marino. I think he scored against San Marino the most of any international team, I think. Yes, I think so. I, I'm also interested to know, from a historical point of view, how many games, for instance, would Jimmy Greaves have had the opportunity to play because it feels like there's an international break very regularly at the moment. I think I heard somewhere that this year has been the most England fixtures there's ever been or something like that, wasn't there? That mm. England have played their most games in a single calendar year this year. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think so. And then you, when you look down the list of top scorers, it's actually very interesting. I mean, Wayne Rooney is obviously still at the top with 53, but he played 120 times for England and Harry yeah. Kane is five goals behind him and has only played 67 games so you know just 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 over half of the games that Wayne Rooney played so the whole stat padding thing I guess it's still impressive isn't it like mm. 48 goals in 68 games whoever you're playing at least you've been you know still impressive numbers isn't it yeah and with Wayne Rooney I think he sort of said it himself he knows that his his record's going to get beaten because he's like the reason that I was top goal scorer of all time is that I just was around for long enough yeah yeah, um, and I think he, you know, as I say, he's the first to say it. But when you look at it, it's not all that impressive. It's no, impressive in really. terms of his longevity, but 120 international games, unbelievable. But not necessarily in terms of a return rate. But then Wayne Rooney evolved, didn't he, into more of a, a number ten, a bit more yeah. deep lying. He's not necessarily the Harry Kane, although Harry Kane is doing that a bit more now in yeah. terms of dropping deeper. But again, context, footballing context. This is why you got to surround it with this and not just throw statistics out blindly which is what we're all about in terms of adding that caveat 100 percent. and also i you know just to just finalize that it's quite interesting when you look at how many games jimmy greaves did play mm. jimmy greaves played 57 games in total for england and he scored 44 goals which yeah. you know by as a ratio is mad isn't it it's amazing it'd yeah. be interesting to know historically how many opportunities Jimmy Greaves had to play and be, if anyone can find out who Jimmy Greaves scored all his goals against we'll hmm. send you a football fanalytics t-shirt because <laughs> uh, I mean that's um, that'd be that'd be great to know but also I guess there's another layer to it Mark which you'll obviously know more about than me but in your opinion does it matter how many goals there are or does it matter sort of who they were scored against or does it matter when when they were scored so for, like the importance of the game in terms of like a tournament or so like does it matter against if he's if Harry Kane scores loads of goals against the top ten teams, for instance, in the world ranked, but they're all in friendlies or qualifiers, is that as sort of impressive as scoring against average Celestes, but scoring them in a Euros or a World Cup, for instance? There's so many different layers oh, to it, yeah. isn't there? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's yeah, the, I do know what you mean. I, that's the, a good point. That's if, a really if good he scores, point. If he scores against very average teams, but they all come in the World Cup or the Euros, is that more impressive than? scoring against Belgium or France in mm. qualifying or whatever. Because, you know, I think Wayne Rooney, apart from the 2004 uh, Euros, di- didn't really score many tournament goals, did he at all? And that I remember that was a stick he used to be beaten with quite a lot, I remember. Yeah, I remember especially in 2010, wasn't it, when he said it to the camera saying, like, nice to see your own fans booing you. I remember mm. that. That was funny. Um, but no, it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, just on the Jimmy Greaves thing, I mean, famously, he wasn't able to 
I don't know what point he was injured during the 1966 World Cup, but obviously famously oh, wasn't yes, able I to, remember that, to yeah. finish the tournament um, because uh, I think it was because of injury, which is how obviously Jeff Hurst came into the side. But um, yeah, on, on the note of that, yeah, I think that's interesting because Kane, I think he scored a hat-trick against Panama, was it, in the World Cup going back uh, to 2018? Yeah. Um, and that was, a, that was a major international tournament, but Panama... I don't know, some pub teams could have probably beaten them. Yeah, but so, also it's, it's then it's then a case of also, uh, that's a really interesting point, it, but also then it doesn't matter what kind of goals you score because he won the golden boot that year, but I remember at the time I was thinking, didn't he score four penalties out of mm. his six goals or something? Do you know what I mean? There was there was such a high level of it and, and in terms of that stat padding um, idea, mm. the penalties thing is probably a, a large part of it, isn't it, as well? Well, that's why we like to speak about non-penalty goals and non-penalty goals per 90, etc. But as we know, penalties aren't a sustainable source of income, so to speak. So yeah. in international tournaments, obviously they count for a lot and you can't really get too many trends in international tournaments because it's very kind of short term. But this is why when we present it in terms of some like the statistics that's commonly kind of thrown out there, you do non-penalty goals. So a more of an indication of a, yeah, a sustainable way to score your goals rather than someone else getting fouled. You're just stepping up and kicking a ball once. Um, but we've got other episodes on penalties if you wish to go back <laughs> through the archives. That was a really loose segue. A really loose <laughs> that was a real, yeah, that um, was a real but, clutch. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's funny you should say, and I did not know you were going to say that. That was clutching at straws, you might say. <laughs> but but I do think it's something that's interesting here. And I, in terms of that stat padding, there's the other layer as well, before I get on to what I do want to say, um, of if we're talking about it, let's go sort of more into a, a domestic season now. But in terms of players who might stat pad by their team's 3-0 up and they go and score two, they haven't kind of added too much weight to the result. They yes. added weight to the scoreline, but not to the result. How many players are kind of really good at that and making them seem like they're scoring loads when there's, I, yeah, I don't know, the team's gone down to, to 10 men, you go and score a few goals or whatever yeah. it might be, versus those who are um, yeah, scoring either the winner when you're in a drawing game state or the, those who's going to get you back to a drawing game state if you're losing, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. I think that's really good. And that's something it's, uh, I've looked into and I wanted to, to share with you. But the clutch thing I think is interesting because this is quite a, a fairly well-known phenomenon um, in sport. But for those who don't know, um, the, the sort of the definition of clutch is that it's a phenomenon of athletes basically under pressure or what's like termed the phrase like in the clutch. So basically towards the end of a game in the final kind of closing minutes of the game, this sort of clutch performance is essentially, it says that the definition says like summoning the strength or the concentration to still perform well to change the outcome of the game. Right. So basically kind of while, let, yeah, let's say it's the 89th minute, you are, um, you're drawing 1-1. Everyone and you, you know you have to win the game. Let's say on away goals or whatever in a, in a um, in a cup game, and everyone else is kind of flapping about, trying to just like lob balls near the box and just yeah. you know lumping it long. A clutch performance or a clutch player is the one who's basically you hear the sort of the commentary, the coolest person in the stadium, yeah, yeah. who's calm, composed, and is able keeps to slot that ball on. in. Keeps their head screwed on when everyone else is is losing it. Um, and you know, again, you think about that in, in one example. I'm sure there's there's always an example of you know one player, but is there a sort of a repeat player 
who's able to do that, be that clutch player over a long period? And yeah, and who might that be? So that's kind of what I've been looking into. And I think it's really relevant with this stat padding because yeah. obviously the flip side of it is who's that player who can always look good when you're 3-0 up but never is that one to decide the game, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I I want to hear more about this. I didn't know there's so much to the word clutch. I just thought that was the thing that goes in your car and you have to have it replaced quite regularly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was going to, this is hilarious, Like knowing that I was going to say about clutch, earlier when we said Ollie's at the wheel, I was gonna, I was gonna say something there, and then before we were about to start this bit, I was like, "Come on, let's get into gear." But I didn't, I didn't, and I'm proud of my maturity. How many vehicle-related jokes can we squeeze in by the end of the episode? I, I think a truckload. Oh dear! (laughs) Sorry, come on, let's be serious. We're not, we're not here to have fun. This episode stalled. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Ryan, concentrate, please. Okay, so let's continue with this idea of a, inverted commas, clutch player. Mm -hmm. What have you been looking at then? Yeah, so I I looked into it a little bit more. And as I say, it's it's quite big in in American sports, um, in in basketball and baseball. um, But... I looked to see whether there was anything kind of related to it in, in football. And I found a, a cool link from ESPN, um, which we will link in the bio. But it's back from February this year. So it's going back a few months, but it's still this year. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. There's basically a bit of a study which looked at a sample of players um, across the past 10 years across Europe's top five leagues. Okay. So as we've spoken about before, English Premier League, Spanish La Liga, Italian Serie A, German Bundesliga, and French League 1. Yep. So um, we spoke about this before, haven't we? But essentially across this 10-year sample, um, they found 127 players who have produced at least 100 goals and assists uh, in that in that time. Yeah. And they basically went drilled down a little bit further. And of those 127 players... 12 have produced at least 15 goals and assists in what is the sort of the the close situations of the game. So essentially what that is, is moments in the 80th minute or later in which the game was either a draw, drawing game state, or their team was behind. Yeah, okay. Okay, so this is the prime sort of clutch zone, isn't it? So this is the opportunity for a player to change the state of the game something so needs to happen than, you need someone to to take it in their stride and do it yeah someone to change the course of the game yeah um again rather than those players who will just yeah score a couple when they're you know plain sailing three one up whatever it is um now i'm gonna actually put it to you ryan which we haven't done in a while but oh. we used to do so like the good old days there's 12 players as i mentioned can you name any players um and this is as of february 2021 who will be essentially the the player who decides the game or the player who changes the course of the game. Okay, I like it. Uh, first, my first guess, it's got to be Cristiano Ronaldo, surely. Cristiano Ronaldo, number two on the list. I thought so because I've just got it ingrained in my brain. Robbie Savage really annoyingly shouting, Viva Ronaldo on BT yeah. Sport when he scored in the last minute twice. Which Well... You're absolutely right. And that was obviously more recently. Yeah. I come back to it. This was February. Um, so it's not even including. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, fine. So in February, when he was at Juventus um, at the time that this was done, 
22 goals, two assists, that changed the, the course of the game. So he's number two. We won't do all 12 listeners, but I will put the link in the bio. But any more that you can think of, rattle them off, Ryan. Uh, Robert Lewandowski. Robert Lewandowski is a shout. He is number seven on the list, number obviously seven. with Bayern Munich. 15 goals and one assist that has changed the course of the game in those closing minutes as a clutch player. I guess Anyone I'm trying else? to think of just like the best best strikers in Europe, essentially. Benzema? I mean, there's one There's one big one. Well, Messi, obviously. <laughs> Messi's number one, yes. <laughs> 16 goals, nine assists that have changed the course of the game. He is the most, as of February 2021, he is the most clutch player. He's in the so clutch. Um, uh, Benzema, Suarez, uh, either of those? Um Benzema, interestingly, not. No. Which I guess kind of kind of tallies with what I think of him. Although this season he's been fantastic. This season, yeah. Um, but I guess historically, maybe sort of tallies with what I'd imagine that he wouldn't be actually on the top, well, the top twelve or that many. Oh, Ibrahimovic. Um, Lewis, Ibrahimovic is not on there either. Actually, oh, wow. Um, Absolutely. Stat padder. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is what I mean. So it's yeah, it's stat padders versus clutch basically. <laughs> Um, so, Imagine a five-a-side team, five-a-side <laughs> team of stat padders versus a clutch team. You can't have all stat padders and all clutch <laughs> against each other. You've got to have a blend. Um, Luis Suarez is eighth on the list. Um, I'm going to put the the link in the bio for people to to have a little peruse. Lovely. Through. I thought I thought one that was interesting actually. I think we've spoken about it before. Before we move on, um, is Romelu Lukaku is number three. Really? On the list. Now I think that we've actually termed him. Maybe it was when we were doing the fantasy football. Um, as a historically at Man United, I think with it saying it as a, a bit of a flat track bully himself. Yeah. When, when United were you know ahead, he'd get the odd goal and stuff, but he never really stuck his neck out on the line when they you know when they needed him yeah. most. And he is number three on the list since he's been into Milan. Of course, maybe people didn't realise just how much he was deciding games. He's basically unfairly Milan. tarnished as a stat padder, where he actually might not. Here's a question, just before you um, move on: Is Harry Kane on there? Yes. Yeah. Interesting question. Yeah. Um, he is number 11 oh, okay. on the list. Um, f- uh, 15 in total, 11 goals and four assists that have changed the, the course of the game. I mean, obviously, it's a um, different conversation, isn't it? His Tottenham career, you know, versus his uh, international career because yeah. he's playing high quality opposition all the time. So, yeah, just mm-hmm. interesting. Um, amazing. I like that. Yeah, I just thought it'd be fun. Um, yeah, somehow made a game out of it. I'm sure you didn't know that was coming, but <laughs> thought it'd be, it'd be an interesting one. There's also... Um, there's also something I that I saw uh, recently on Twitter from someone called uh, Katri Shreyas. Um, so again, I hope I've said your name correctly there, but he's done something um, kind of similar uh, recently in terms of clutch. So the number of game state altering goals um, for the team and how much of that is actually a percentage of the team's total. Nice. So it might be that if, if you're not, but your whole team isn't changing the course of the game that much, isn't you know coming back from behind to, to win or whatever, then it's it's all relative to to the player as well but um i'll i'll put a link uh, into the bio for that as well because it's it's sort of similar but it's a little bit more recent um, yeah, nice. 2018 to um to the end of last season again in the top 5 european leagues but there's familiar faces um are are in there um actually just on that note before we do move on in the past 3 years benzema really has been just looking at it now yeah. so maybe it suggests that over the over the 10 seasons maybe because he was um sort of secondary to Cristiano Ronaldo yeah, yeah. at Real Madrid but more and more he's taken on maybe in in uh, Ronaldo's absence 
taken on more responsibility and been that decider, which tallies with what I was saying about this season. He's he's gone up another level. He's he scored ten in La Liga already this yeah. season. So he got a shiny new clutch, one. and he uh, all of a sudden yeah. he was <laughs> he's flying. Yeah. yeah. Again, he's got himself into gear, um, and I will stop there. But I think those two are interesting. I'll put both of those in the bio, but um, there we go. Cracking. Clutch. So in summary then, Mark, what I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your opinion on stat padding? I'm not sure I actually asked you. What Does it bother you? Does it is it an inevitable part of the game? Like what, you know, mm. is, it, is it something that... that you have a strong opinion on like because I've seen a lot of people sort of you know in uproar about it this week and it's not something that I necessarily I find it very interesting but I I don't, I don't really know how passionate I could get about it in terms of either way are you saying you've not been passionate this whole episode no but I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying I don't it doesn't bother me if Harry Kane scores a hundred goals for England and 40 of them against San Marino I'm just glad yeah. that Harry Kane is scoring goals do you know what I mean Yes. No, I agree. I think there's a few things that I'd say to it. One is that I agree that I don't care enough. The The second is that I think it's just another interesting layer of context. Yes. Like he's going to have scored the goals anyway. You may as well just accept that. But it's just an extra layer of context that a few of those might have been against very, very low ranked teams. The other thing that I'd say is that you're more likely, I think, to get stat padding at international level where there's a greater disparity yes. between certain players and certain teams whereas if you're talking about playing in your domestic league you're going to be there's going to be a benchmark that's a lot or a a gap that's a lot smaller between the best and the worst team and that gap is massive at international level when England are playing San Marino so I think stat padding is probably more prevalent at international level hence why we're talking about it Um, and then the stat padding kind of about the idea of almost being anti-clutch of being the one who's going to score when you're already in the lead or whatever it might be, is uh, somewhere in between, I think. Yeah. That's where I'd find it interesting, again, to to just add that extra layer of context. And maybe from a recruitment perspective, as we always like to bring it back to kind of real-world football, it might be something which, f- thinking about strikers and, and forwards, that, um, that teams and clubs might be interested in is how much is this almost as a proxy and an indication of character yeah. and calmness and how clinical they are to use that as a tool as well to see how sort of yeah again quote unquote clutch are they and how might how likely are they to actually score when it really matters for us brilliant so i've sort of answered your question in a few ways there or yeah. maybe not at all i don't know you absolutely have yep love it Okay, listeners, so every week we are always encouraging you to get in contact with us and uh, I'm glad to say that lots of people have done so recently, so thank you for sending your messages. Mark, I think we should very quickly crack open the Fanalytics mailbox and uh, and answer one of our listeners' questions because we've waffled on about cars so much. We've probably only got time for one, so we'll we'll make our way through and then we'll we'll keep picking them up as, as the weeks go on. But um, we've had someone contact us on Twitter uh, called Ole Lekan, and they have asked essentially in in regards to when you're recruiting, we've got buying players to suit a certain style of play, or buying players who can make the team better and give more dynamic to the attack, which relies on data more. Which is quite interesting, isn't it? Because essentially talking about specifically targeting people who fit into a certain style right and and what data do you need to look at is that is that kind of what they're asking 
Yeah, I think so. I think that good sort of good analytics, I suppose, for, at a club level can find that either the diamond in the rough or a player who you wouldn't necessarily go for. And we have spoken about it before, and it's an easy one for me to say, but I think it's valid. In terms of Liverpool, like you think of Andy Robertson as someone who was playing for a team who got relegated with with Hull City, and then he's gone on to be one of the best left-backs in in Europe. Um, And I think that's something where he certainly suited the style of play. He was a very attacking left-back who really liked to get forward. Um, Sometimes he was sort of left not left to his own devices he basically didn't have I think the protection um that you would imagine he would have at a team like Liverpool when he was at Hull City so you think okay we'll take him out put him in that team he would certainly fit our style of play but he wouldn't be necessarily you know he wasn't you wouldn't just choose someone who was playing the best player for the best team in Europe um because then it wouldn't necessarily follow so it's a difficult one to answer simply because you could have both Basically, I don't think it's one or the other because you could buy a player to suit and ser- suit a certain style of play, and obviously they make the team better. So I don't think it's one or the other. And you'd be looking at certain metrics, presumably, when you did that, as in like with so with Andy Robertson example, they would have been looking at certain hmm. pieces of data that that they were specifically targeting, as opposed to you know how everything essentially how many goals has he scored or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Liverpool have advanced analytics, but even really rudimentary things like how many crosses is he putting in per per 100 touches or something? So it's a bit more of a kind of an even playing field versus, um, you know, someone who's more likely to have a team who's like more likely to have possession. Um, you know, how many touches is he having in the attacking third? Those sorts yeah. of things. But um, yeah, I mean, I listened to something recently, a podcast which essentially said that when they were scouting, this is before they even dig into the data, but when they were scouting a player, they went they went to see them kind of in real life and saw that they were comfortable on the ball, but they were playing sort of long balls. Mm. They were more likely to, to sort of play it long or kind of get it out and get rid, but certainly a capable player on the ball. And they said, okay, well, our way of playing is very much out from the back. We want this player, this the, our centre-backs, to have a lot of the ball and play short, sharp passes. Now, if you were to look at the player in terms of their numbers, they would suggest that they don't play many sort of short, sharp passes, mm. but they certainly this player certainly had the, the capability to do so. So you can almost pluck someone from a different a team which has a different style of play and instill that, obviously, to the style of play that you want, knowing that the player from recruiting, or from scouting them, I should say, knowing that that player has the capability and the capacity to play in your your certain style. So I don't know if I'm really answering the question because it's 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 a complex one. You'd obviously then try and supplement that with data if you could just to see what their style is and things like that. But um, I don't think, I think the fact that I'm sort of not answering it directly suggests that it, there's, there's no set way. And yeah. I think that's a good thing because there's so many different angles you can come at it from and there's so many steps in the process to recruit any sort of player fantastic excellent answer mark and, uh, and before before i let you wrap up ryan you said that it was the fan mailbox fanalytics mailbox yeah I think previously it was the mail bag so it's nice to see we've upgraded <laughs> there's, so, there's so much mail in there we needed to get a bit more of a sturdier vessel to uh, yeah. to keep yeah. it all in yeah well nice. you know it's, it's always good to 
<laughs> don't even know what I'm saying there. Yes, it's a mailbox now, guys. Soon it'll be a nice. uh, a post office. There we go. Um, <laughs> and on that absolutely weird note, I'm going to round off. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, that was a very, very uh, enjoyable episode. Um, and thank you to you, the listeners at home, for listening to us. Um, we are going to delve into more uh, more messages and uh, emails that you've sent us in the next few episodes. But feel free to keep getting in touch with us and you know where you can do that by now. We are at Fanalytics Pod on Instagram and Twitter and we are fanalytics.pod at gmail.com for those who would rather email. Please do give us your feedback. Please do send us in your questions and uh, we always enjoy hearing from you. In the meantime, Mark, I'm going to say goodbye. We have club football back this weekend, which is very exciting. So uh, enjoy your weekend of football, everyone, and we will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.